3: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from
2: HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and
3: welcome to the podcast.
4: I'm Sarah Dowdy, And I'm Dablina Chakraborty.
3: And while Dablina and I were preparing our end-of-the-year historical news episodes, Deblina let me know about a story I had missed in 2011 – Let's see, the Iceman had a girlfriend. I know. This was news to me. So it's not a situation like another big news story from 2011, one that I did manage to catch, the Roman-era Romeo and Juliet of Medina, who were two skeletons found, kind of romantically buried next to each other, holding hands, staring into each other's face. Archaeologists have not unearthed a lady at lying next to the Iceman, which is what I was imagining. I was thinking, how have they missed another ice body there since nineteen ninety
4: one. I mean more importantly, how have you missed it? Because <laughs> well, I didn't realize this, but Sarah Doughty has an Utsy obsession.
3: I, it's not an UTSY obsession.
4: You have a crush on the Iceman. No, that would just be gross. <laughs> he's five thousand years old. That's true.
3: I I mean he's an interesting guy and, and I think that interest will be conveyed later in this episode. But first to clear up matters on Utsi's girlfriend. She's just in the same general area and from the same general time period, but we're going to talk about her a little more at the end of the episode. While researching that story, though, Dublina and I realized that 2011 has really been or was kind of a banner year for Iceman news in general. There were theories that came out about how he lived and how he died that completely turned earlier theories upside down. So How about a new episode, an entire episode on everybody's favorite copper Age Man, including, I mean, he's got to be your favorite copper Age Man, too, Delaina. I'm not alone. Yeah, if you narrow
4: it down like that, (laughs) he definitely falls into that category for me. But it's just an interesting story, too. I mean, it spans 5,300 years with all these twists and turns and a deep freeze in the middle. Of
3: course. So we usually start off these podcasts with, um you know the early years of our subject we can't exactly do that for this episode so we will start with the discovery of Utsian instead which happened September 19th 1991 Two German hikers, Erica and Helmut Simon, were out enjoying some fine weather in the Utsdal Alps near the border of Austria and Italy, and they decided to take a little shortcut and wound up walking past a gully filled with melted snow. And of course, there's all this white snow, white ice everywhere, but something brown caught their eye and they thought maybe it was trash. And they went over and
4: looked at it. No, it was much more horrifying than that. It was a dead body with a few pieces of birch bark around it. So, how scary. They figured it was a dead hiker, someone who had gotten lost in the gully in recent years, something like that, something very alarming. So the Simons took a photo, and then they left to report their findings to the authorities. The next day, men with drills arrived to chip away the ice, still holding the body's lower torso and legs. So not realizing that this was a stunningly rare archaeological find, they damaged the body's hip and had to abandon their efforts as the weather started to turn bad.
3: So by the next day, some people were starting to notice that this body was not clothed in, like, hiker gear from the 80s or something. It was in some decidedly old fashioned looking garments. Still, though, nobody really had much time to think because the weather was getting worse and worse and it was making the extraction a real nightmare. But by September 23rd, the body was finally removed. And, of course, no archaeologists were present to witness it because they didn't think that this was an archaeological matter at the at that time. There was one lucky catch, though. The whole thing was filmed by the Innsbruck University Institute of Forensic Medicine, which has really been a useful document for researchers later on.
4: The frozen corpse, along with some of the string and hide and the axe near his body, were then flown to another area of Austria and were ordered under the direction of the local prosecutor to the Institute of Forensic Medicine.
3: So at this point, everybody is still operating under the assumption that this was not an ancient body. It was a poor, unfortunate hiker. And it wasn't until six days after the mummy was found that an archaeologist was finally summoned in to check things out. It was Conrad Spindler of Innsbruck University. And after reviewing the body and the axe, he... Came out and said he was sure that it was at least four thousand years old. So, of course, this sort of changed the situation, changed matters a bit, and authorities started trying to figure out who was actually in charge of the body, because we mentioned earlier that the Simons had been hiking near the Austrian-Italian border, and of course the presence of glaciers can make border determination a little bit tricky sometimes. Just a few weeks after the discovery, a new border study came out that said definitively the find had been located not in Austria, but in Italy, only 92 meters from the border.
4: So that changed things a little bit. Still, the province of South Tyrol, now responsible for the body, was content to allow the first forensic examinations to take place in Austria. Scientists at Innsbruck cut the iceman's torso and also made cuts on his back, the top of his skull and his legs, so they've kind of destroyed parts of the body a little bit at this got time. To work on him. Yeah, researchers today call those invasive procedures the Austrian windows. And in
3: 1992, they went back. You know, once weather got better and everything, they had to wait about a year. They went back, and a few other key artifacts were recovered at the scene, like a fingernail a uh, bearskin hat, some hair, some grasses, and C-14 analysis also later confirmed Spindler's suspicion that the mummy was at least 4,000 years old. Turned out he was a lot older than that, as we've already mentioned. It had been about 5,300 years since this Copper Age guy had died out there on the ice. That made him older than the pharaohs, older than most of the bog bodies in Europe. So, truly a, a unique find for archaeologists.
4: The Iceman's great age made the media go crazy. I mean, you can probably remember Iceman specials on TV from in years 90s, ago. Yeah. Plus all the questions about him. Who was he? How did he die? Was he a shepherd, a shaman, or an outlaw? Was he a vegetarian? Was he sacrificed? Some speculated that he was a hoax, maybe an Egyptian or a Peruvian mummy stuck in the ice. Others realized he was more than just a passing news story and that he needed a name. Viennese journalist Carl Wendell was the first to coin the name Utzi from the valley where the body came from
3: but it wasn't just utzi's great age and the mystery surrounding his life and death that made him such an impressive uh useful find he was what the south tyrol museum of archaeology calls a wet mummy which means a mummy whose cells aren't desiccated so normally you would think of egyptian mummies they're kind of almost like dust and um utzi's Non-dust-like makeup means that he could be subjected to scientific procedures without just crumbling away. So after all of these years, more than 5,000 years, he's still a bit elastic. You can kind of perform living human or recently dead human type procedures on him.
4: So over the next decade, Etsy had x-rays, CT scans, studies of his mitochondrial DNA, bone and tooth analysis, and a thorough analysis of any pollen on, in, or near his body. And so bit by bit, this picture of the Iceman started to emerge. They found out he was five foot two. He had been raised in the Izarco River Valley, but lived in the Venosta Valley. He was old for a copper age man. So he was about 45 years old and he had the aches and pains to prove it. He had healed rib fractures, a healed broken nose, worn down molars, but no tooth decay. I find that quite impressive. I think there's maybe a secret there to be learned. <laughs> Or something,
3: no uh, Coca Cola or something in his diet, <laughs> Maybe probably. So.
4: But he had hardened arteries, also.
3: So he also had Boreal lines on his fingernails and those meant that he had had some kind of major stress or illness 8 weeks, 13 weeks, and 16 weeks before he died. Sometimes if you go through um, some serious illness, your fingernails stop growing and it leaves behind this little line. He also had tattoos covering his body, but not decorative tattoos. They were small charcoal crosses and lines and they were located on the knees, ankles, wrists, insteps, calves, lower back, you know, places where if you were a 45-year-old, especially a 45-year-old copper age man, you might have some chronic pain. And some of these spots even correspond to acupuncture points. So researchers really do believe that they
1: were some kind of remedy for, for pain he was experiencing.
4: His copper axe probably meant that he was high status, but the high levels of arsenic in his body also suggest that he might have been directly involved in copper metalworking. He had a few genetic anomalies, um, including missing 12th ribs and no wisdom teeth.
3: And a few ailments too. He had a whipworm infestation and possibly fleas. I think a couple flea bodies were found on his person. No big surprise there. But he also might have been able or might have been equipped to handle at least the whipworm infestation. Among his gear were these hide strips with birch fungus attached. And birch fungus is uh, it has antibiotic properties that can help fight intestinal parasites and was used until pretty recently to to do so in some areas of the world.
4: So he had his own medicine with he had a little medicine kit he was also well-dressed for the chilly spring weather in which he died he wore a loincloth leggings and a jacket all made from hide he sported a woven grass cape and the aforementioned bearskin hat he also had some gear with him he carried a dagger and a tinder kit with a flint from about 150 kilometers away which suggested some sophisticated copper age trade had gone on
3: Still, though, you know, we've figured out a lot. That's a lot of information about this guy who has been dead for so long. But fingernails don't really answer questions about who Utsi was, like what did he do? And maybe most intriguingly, why did he die alone in the mountains? So since the body was found on a traditional herding route, a lot of folks initially thought that he might have been a shepherd. He might have been out there tending his herds. But aside from the grass cloak, which is traditional shepherd's gear, he didn't have any other equipment. There was no wool, there was no crook, no dog hair, no animals around him either. So a few other ideas have popped up over the years, including a shaman. You mentioned that one earlier, although he had no ritual objects on his person. A flint trader. But no trade goods. An outlaw, that's an exciting one. Prospector, he didn't have any good tools for that. Or a hunter. So, a lot of these theories have sort of come in and out of fashion with no real definitive answers. But the question of how he died did get a big push in July 2001 when researchers Paul Gossner and Eduard Garcher-Viegel announced that new x-rays showed an arrowhead buried in Utsi's shoulder.
4: And they couldn't determine at the time how long it would have taken for that arrowhead to kill him, but they could say that he had been shot in the back. So then the plot thickened in 2005 when Egarter Vigel and Andreas G. Nierlich of the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich announced a sizable defensive stab wound that had been found on Utzi's right palm. It was partly healed. He had received it three to eight days before death. So this information combined with a CT scan suggesting Utsi died on an empty stomach led to a new narrative of Utsi's last days. The Iceman had had a fight, sustained a cut to his hand, and then fled through the Sonalis Valley toward an alpine pass before his enemies caught up with him and polished him off. So...
3: Yeah, that was the theory for a few years and Gosner eventually retired, but he just kept on looking at old Iceman CT scans. So there's a, that's an Iceman obsession for you, Dublina. But it, it ended up paying off because in 2009, according to a National Geographic story by Stephen S. Hall, Gossner decided that the Iceman's empty stomach was really his empty colon, and his actual stomach looked like it may have been pushed up under his ribs. So the big question now was, Is there anything in it? Because if there was, that would dramatically change the working narrative. So plans were made to do a total investigation of the Iceman, unlike any previous examination really kind of an autopsy performed while the Iceman was in a state of slight melt. And everything would take place through those Austrian windows you mentioned earlier, made in 1991. So there would be no new incisions, no damage done to the body.
4: In November 2010, after a marathon session, researchers came away with 149 new samples and promptly refroze Etsy. It's likely to take years to analyze all the findings, but 2011 already showed major work. So by June 2011, the Iceman's genome had been sequenced, revealing that he was closely related to Southern Europeans of today, had Lyme disease, congenital risk factors for heart disease or stroke, was lactose intolerant, and had brown hair and brown eyes.
3: Not blue, as earlier believed. And in August 2011, it came out in the Journal of Archaeological Science that Etsy had not, in fact, died hungry. Within just a few hours of his death, he had eaten a hearty meal of Ibex, making the old on-the-run theory really pretty unlikely and replacing it with one of a giant lunch, post-lunch relaxation, and then suddenly an arrow in the back, and in a quote given to the Iceman Museum, Albert Zink of the Institute for Mummies and the Iceman in Bolzano, Italy, explained that Utzi's stomach had shifted after his death under his ribs, and that concealed it, of course, during the earlier examinations. And he also said, quote, the Iceman wouldn't have been able to have a large meal under the heavy stress of a chase. It much more appears that he considered the situation safe enough to rest and eat a heavy meal after the strenuous ascent. Shortly afterward, he could have moved a short
1: distance away from his place of rest and was killed by a surprise ambush from behind.
4: So there was another major discovery from that 2010 examination. The body showed a pool of blood at the back of the brain. This could have been from a fall after the fatal arrow shot or a knock in the head. They're not sure. I think the National Geographic article called it a coup
3: de grace, perhaps, from Utsi's killer. So who knows? But... It's really fascinating to me that the narrative surrounding this 5,300 year old man can change so much in two decades. I think that's the part of the story that, that appeals to me and is just so interesting. It's really easy to find quotes that are retrospectively of note too and you have examination after examination with new finds, new findings turning up around every corner. In 2005, for instance, James H. Dixon, Klaus Ogle, and Linda L. Hanley wrote for Scientific American quote, an autopsy would be too destructive. That didn't turn out to be true. And then in 2002, in an article titled Time to Leave Utsi Alone for the Lancet, David Sharp wrote, quote, I cannot help wondering if there will soon be a limit to what the Tyralian Iceman can usefully tell us. I mean, that was back in 2002, just a year after the Arrowhead discovery came out.
4: And it doesn't seem like there are any limits yet. No, not at all. And, And you really do
3: find a record similar to that where... Big discoveries are made. People wonder if there's anything else that can possibly be revealed from this poor guy who's been poked and prodded and Mm -hmm. studied for so many years. And then another huge finding comes out.
4: So we rarely cover prehistory topics on this podcast, but we do often discuss speculative subjects. Spring-Heeled Jack, the Mad Trapper, the Sister's Fox, for example. This topic was so much more science-centered than those, but almost just as speculative because... Well, for one thing, it's hard to get much out of an even miraculously preserved 5,300-year-old body. Also, technology has advanced remarkably in the 20 years since Etsy was first found. So, I mean, just imagine if he had been discovered in the 19th century. Or
3: even the 1960s or 1970s, it would have been a different story. But what makes Etsy so important to researchers is not just the fact that his cells aren't all dried up or that he is more than 5 Five thousand years old. He's an accidental death and he died unburied. So he kind of gives a day in the life of picture of the Copper Age instead of another study of Copper Age burials. He died wearing presumably everyday clothes, carrying everyday objects, having just eaten his big Ibex lunch, presumably everyday fare. So even if researchers don't figure out what exactly he did for a living or the exact rundown of how he died, he does offer a peek at copper Age life that we just really wouldn't have had otherwise.
4: But this whole thing started because of news of Utzi's girlfriend. So what was her deal? Well, according to Discovery News, a female skeleton was found during the construction of a kindergarten in Italy. It was a near a favorite vacation spot of the late Pope John Paul II and current Pope Benedict XVI. So the site is near South T-Roll, just a few hundred miles away from where Utsi was found. And the skeleton is approximately the same age as Utsi, thus why she has a couple of nicknames. And one of the main ones is Utsi's girlfriend.
3: So now that we've talked about both the Iceman and the Iceman's girlfriend, I think that's a good point to transition to listener mail. So we got a letter from Adam and... We should just note, first of all, that it is a letter written on the back of a, um, like, a little coloring chart for St. Nicholas Day. (laughs) It's kind of like a little devil with a a poker and everything. Mm-hmm. So Adam wrote first a note about the stationery. I live in the Czech Republic, which is an hours drive north of Prague, the, the town he lives in. I'm from Oregon, but I've been teaching English to little children here for several years. This paper I use as an example in a lesson about colors because it is pretty colorful. red, orange, yellow. Black. Um, but he also mentioned that St. Nicholas Day is a big holiday in the Czech Republic. Um, it's on December 6th, so we just missed it not too long ago. I considered doing an episode on St. Nicholas for this year's, um, Christmas themed podcast. Much requested. It is much requested. Maybe some other time. But anyway, Adam also sent us a pack of Empress CC playing cards, and that's why I decided to read this listener mail since it's another Austrian story or Austro-Hungarian Empire story. So um, thank you. Maybe Diplina and I will have a round of Crazy Eights or something yeah. after <laughs> we finish recording.
4: But we have one more little bit of information on Etsy before we leave you guys, and you won't want to miss this. It's a curse. Because a- what kind of mummy story would be complete without a curse? So True. So according to a 2005 BBC article, seven people connected to the mummy have died. Some not far from where Utsi was found, including Helmut Simon, who died in a winter storm.
3: And, of course, many, many people have worked with Utsi over the years, and no study has been done on their rate of survival, as it was done for the King Tut curse.
4: But maybe that's next.
3: Yeah, maybe. we'll We'll stay tuned on this one. And as I think we've mentioned on maybe the Macbeth curse episode, I hope that curses like this don't extend to podcasters. Knock on wood. is uh, uh, <laughs> like, I didn't know what I was getting I into. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll leave on that note. Wish us luck. And uh, if you have anything else you want to share about the Iceman, you can email us at podcast at howstuffworks.com we're also on twitter at history, and we are on facebook and if you want to learn a little more about another famous curse I wrote an article several years ago called is there really a curse on king tut's tomb and as I mentioned that's a curse that has been studied there's statistical analysis relating to it so you can look that one up by searching for king tut on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com
2: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Forks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.